This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I'm your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined by my punch drunk predictions partner in crime, Patrick Shiviklinski, as we get into UFC 203, which takes place this Saturday, September 10th at the Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland, Ohio, headlined by a heavyweight championship bout between native son, Cleveland's own Stipe Miocic, and Alistair Overeem. But before we get to that fight, and this is going to be out of character for this show and for most times that we break down fight cards. But Patty, I think you know where we have to start. We have to start in the middle of the main card. We have to start with the debut of the straight-edge superstar, the voice of the voiceless, the former Second City Saint, C.M. Punk, taking on Mickey Gall in his long-awaited UFC debut. This is a fight 21 months in the making in terms of when it was announced that Punk was signing. There have been ups and downs and injuries and evolution of Punk documentary series. And it's finally here. You know that this has been the most anticipated fight of the year for me. So I will let you start with your assessment of the debut of Philip Jack Brooks in this one. <laughs> well, I'll start off by saying those names that you you uh, you know preceded uh, CM Punk's name with. I had no idea what those were. <laughs> um, not a wrestling guy, admittedly. So I I didn't know what that was all about. But it sounded good to me. So um, basically, I'm going off of, you know, what I've been seeing from CM Punk kind of on the Fight Pass show, which is kind of the gateway that we've gotten into his MMA life, um, so to speak. And uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, man, because he's made it here. He's, he's made it to this point, finally, that he's going to fight. Honestly, there was a point that I thought, okay, it's not going to happen. I think CM Punk is probably going to train a bit and that injury that he had I thought would set him back and he'd say you know what maybe I'm not going to do this but he's here man he's he's in Cleveland he's been signing posters he's been on embedded all week he's been doing all the right things and he's going to be there Saturday night to fight so I think we're at a point where you know uh there's no going back for CM Punk now and and this fight with Mickey Gall is indeed very real so we're, you know, it, it, we're a couple days out here, you know, uh, as as we're recording this podcast. And I'm just, you know, I think the word to describe this whole CM Punk situation is curious, man. I'm I'm just so curious to see what's going to happen, what he's learned over, you know, the period that he's been training MMA, uh, what Duke Rufus has been able to teach him, what, what he's kind of picked up from being around all those guys in Milwaukee. It's a curious situation. That's the best way that I can describe it. First and foremost, it's a good thing that I only found out now that you don't pay attention to WWE because I would have gotten you kicked off the show way at the start. 
secondly, I think it's one of those things. I think you're right. I think you can only kind of judge most of this based on what little we've seen. And, and truthfully, we haven't seen a lot. And rightfully so. Obviously, Punk and his team are going to keep a lot of stuff guarded. I always found it hilarious when people would see those very early sparring session videos from like week four. So the first episode of Evolution of Punk and do the like, man, if he's anything like this, then Mickey Gauss. Look, it was that was week four. We're at, I think it's like week 65 or something now in terms of the amount of training he's done or more than that. My math is probably way off. The other part for me is that, and I wrote this for for my Friday column in the province. Um, it is online now at provincesports.com slash MMA. CM Punk deserves to be here just as much as James Tony did and just as much as Herschel Walker deserved to fight in strike force. And you know how I feel about the word deserved in this sport. I think it has no place for the most part because it's not a meritocracy. It's not, there's no barrier to entry, really. If you're, as I said at the end of my column, a famous guy said he wanted to try it and the UFC signed him up. It's happened before. James Tony is a perfect example. People will say, oh, well, at least he had a rich combat sports history. But yeah, he was also 42 clearly out of shape, a little bit punchy, and didn't really go into this with the kind of fervor and dedication that CM Punk has shown to getting ready for this fight. He just cashed his fat check and got put on his ass and choked out by a five-time world champion. That's the other part. Nobody really had as many complaints about James Tony going in there and fighting Randy goddamn Couture who had won titles at heavyweight and light heavyweight and is regarded as one of the greatest fighters in the history of this sport because Randy Couture was seen as this symbol of standing up for the sanctity of MMA against these dastardly villains from boxing that think they're better than us. And it's a bunch of bullshit. CM Punk is has trained. He's fight, Now he is trained. He's fighting a guy of fairly comparable skill. Mickey Gall has two professional fights to his name. He hasn't been in there for more than a round combined, or I think maybe just over a round combined in his two pro fights. We see 2-0 versus 0-0 on the regional circuit all the time. And yeah, is it a fight that should be taking place on the UFC level? Of course not. But when you put a famous person in it and somebody that is going to draw money and push pay-per-view buys, of course he's going to be in the UFC. There's no value to CM Punk. There's no return to CM Punk to going out and doing this at a, you know, random regional event somewhere in Milwaukee, an NAFS card in Milwaukee next weekend. It's not about the money for him. It's about making the walk. But you know what? It's also pretty smart to make sure you get paid for going out there and having some guy punch you in the face and maybe make you look like an idiot. So for me, I don't get any of the pushback. I don't understand any of the vitriol people have about this because the other side of it is this is a huge rub for Mickey Gall. This is a great showcase opportunity for this 24-year-old kid that got fast-tracked to the UFC. Everybody wants to say CM Punk is taking up a roster space. Well, he actually created a job for Mickey Gall. And if this kid turns out to actually have potential, which it looks like he does, 
then this is a huge coup for the UFC. Because not only have they gotten people interested in this fight and going to cash in on CM Punk's debut, but they might actually get to unearth and showcase somebody with some legitimate upside going forward that people can follow in Mickey Gall. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You know, um, that the the only part about this that I, I see, you know, arguments on, on social media and Twitter is people saying that he's taking up a roster spot. And as you pointed out, I, I do agree with that fact that he's actually, you know, created a lane for Mickey Gall to come in in a circumstance he otherwise wouldn't get an opportunity in the UFC this early into his professional career. So I think that's definitely a positive coming out of this. And like you said, you know, if he comes in there and, you know, finishes Punk in, in pretty devastating fashion, which is, let's be honest, a high probability, <laughs> um, you know, then you can build off this guy moving forward. And it doesn't really matter uh, about Punk's skill level. You're building him off of Punk's name. And that's all it is. So, you know, it, it, it is an opportunity to get another good, young, welterweight talent in that division. So in in terms of that, I don't have any issue with, you know, um, that aspect of it and people saying that he's taking up a roster spot. I think that's that's a pretty dumb argument um, because he's not. Uh, the, the thing that I guess, you know, kind of doesn't sit well, well with me or maybe kind of has crossed my mind a few times is, you know, where do you draw the line? Because obviously, you know, CM Punk has had a background in, in wrestling. But at the end of the day, wrestling is not a real athletic competition. It is still it is still scripted. Yes, it is physically demanding. I will admit that. It is certainly taxing on the body. You have to probably be in good shape to do a lot of the stuff, you know, flying elbows and whatnot that those guys do in the ring. And I agree with that 100%. But what I don't think is, you know, um, right is that, you know, this guy who – literally has no combat experience, zero within the octagon, is getting an opportunity to fight in a place that so many mixed martial artists hold to such a high standard. And that's where all these professional mixed martial artists who aren't in the UFC are seeing this and saying, well, what the hell? But at the same time, as we've said before, it is a business. The UFC needs to make money. And making money off of CM Punk makes a lot of sense. So that, you know, that's kind of the internal conflict that I'm sort of dealing with, you know, watching this whole thing unravel is that you have this one side where, yes, you understand the economics of the situation. Bringing CM Punk in makes a lot of sense. But on the other hand, it goes back to, you know, what we've talked about on this podcast many times before is kind of the identity crisis within the UFC. What do you want to be? Do you want to be an entertainment, uh, you know, kind of league or do you want to be a legitimate sports league and i think that those two kind of things um competing against each other makes it for a little bit of a messy situation so i i think that while it is certainly good for you know lining the ufc's pockets and getting people you know interested in what's going on i think that when you look at the actual professional mixed martial artists who haven't gotten an opportunity in the UFC, who haven't sort of made their way to that upper echelon yet, and who probably are deserving of a of a roster spot, and maybe they'll get one down the line, but seeing some someone like CM Punk be in the octagon when they're not in the octagon, that has to sit with them kind of not very well. So 
I, I kind of feel for those guys out there. Not necessarily the guys who are already on the UFC roster. They're already there. But the guys who are on the outside looking in and saying, you know, I have the talent, I have all the skills, I have everything to be in the UFC, yet CM Punk's going to be in the Octagon Saturday night. First and foremost, I agree with you that there is a bit of an internal conflict that is always present with the UFC, sort of towing that, walking that thin line between sport and spectacle. But I think we've seen over the years, and very much this year, that they're leaning towards spectacle. I mean, the the Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz first fight came together at the 11th hour. The second fight had no reason to take place outside of the fact that it was a grand spectacle that was going to generate huge amounts of money. And as Dave Meltzer wrote earlier this week on MMA Fighting, seems to have broken the pay-per-view record for the UFC with over 1.6 million buys. However, between two high-level mixed martial artists. Sure, but James Tony wasn't a high-level mixed martial artist, and he came in, and Herschel Walker. And there have been instances both in North America, in, in regional talent, in regional fights, and in Japan, in, in bigger organizations, where guys that aren't high-level mixed martial artists have been shotgunned into these fights. The other part of it is, is that that happens in every career pursuit and every avenue you can think of that has any element of fame or celebrity tethered to it. I could sit here and gripe about being a professional writer and somebody that has gone through and worked hard to build my career as a journalist, and I don't get a chance to write, you know, guest columns in The New Yorker, but random movie stars do. But that's the perk of being a random movie star. I mean, there there are working actors that could turn around and say, it's bullshit that some model decides she wants to be an actress and Hollywood's going to give them an opportunity because they're already famous. Like, Emily Ratajkowski being in a bunch of movies probably pisses off a lot of brunette actresses that have worked hard at their craft and studied and gone to acting school and all of that stuff. But guess what? Emily Ratajkowski's famous and people are going to turn out to see her and go pay movies to see her be a horrible actress in horrible movies. No offense to Emily Ratajkowski, who is... <laughs> Tell us how you really feel about her. <laughs> who, is, who is beautiful, naked, as we saw, thanks to Robin Thicke. But still, that doesn't make her a good actress. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, that it is that it does have to be hard for the people on the outside looking in that says, this is bullshit, that CM Punk gets brought up there and it's not fair but as my parents taught me at a very very early age life isn't fair Mm -hmm. that's how these things work do i agree with it overall not really am i gonna grouse about it because this dude's getting a shot no because at the end of the day he is subsequently put in the work and he is going to make the walk when he had a bunch of opportunities to take an off-ramp. Those multiple injuries could have been chances for him to be like, you know what, I'm 37, I have to have surgery on a herniated disc in my back, I'm out. And instead, he went and did it, and came back and did all of his rehab, and has trained and is going to step into the octagon on Saturday night. So for me, my hat is off for him. It has nothing to do with the fact that I am a CM Punk mark from his wrestling days. It has to do with the fact that he is doing something that a lot of other people talk about wanting to do and 
say they would like to do, whether it's in this walk of life and in this arena or any other. He is taking a chance and doing something to chase his dream, something that he wants to do, and I commend him for it. That Oh, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was just going to jump in. I was just going to ask. I mean, you know, and, and I agree with these points that, that you're making here. Um, and I do really do res- genuinely, I don't want it to come off that I'm not respecting what CM Punk is doing because I really do respect that he has put in the time and at Rufus Sport and really trained hard and really put all of himself into this. This isn't a part-time thing for him. He's really full-time into this MMA career. So I do respect him for that. The question I do have, though, is where do you draw the line? We talked about you know, it being a perk of being famous. And I agree with that. That That is some of the things that come with being famous. But where do you draw the line? Does an actor who trains 18 months in MMA and who has a relationship with Dana White get an opportunity to fight someone in the UFC? Maybe. Does, does a celebrity chef get to do that? Are we going to see Gordon Ramsay fight somebody in the UFC? That's the question I have. If they put in the training, if they put in the work, are they able to fight in the UFC because of their name? I mean, maybe they can. And as ridiculous as that is, that's the spectacle side of this that we've been dealing with from the inception of this sport. And look, do I think there are probably some people that have knocked on the door or picked up the phone and been like, hey, I want to do this? Hmm. Yeah, there's probably been a bunch of them. Mickey Rourke is crazy. He's probably (laughs) said he wants to do it. He's already mangled up from enough plastic surgeries that, and, you know, done some boxing and shit like that, that he's probably said, hey, Dana, look, I'd love to try it. And they probably look at a lot of these guys and say, okay, go and start doing a camp. You find some place that you're going to go and do this and show me that you're committed to it. And then we'll talk about it. The thing that Ariel Hawani brought up when he sat down with Punk this week that a lot of people didn't know is that two months before they rolled Punk out at that December 2014 pay-per-view event to announce his signing, this deal was done. So it wasn't like they just announced it on December 10th, I believe it was, and the next day he started training and looking around for where he was going to go. All of those gears were in motion, and he was started down this path already. So I'm sure it started with, and and Punk has talked about it, he offhandedly mentioned to Lorenzo Fertitta that, yeah, in a different life, I would have tried this if it was as popular as wrestling was when I was at the age that I got bit by the wrestling bug. Hmm. And so then they reached out and said, hey, if you're interested, how interested are you? What are you willing to do? How's this play out for you? And Punk, being Punk and having a lot of free time because he had quit the WWE, is able to commit himself. I think if there are other celebrities and other people that make that call and express an interest and want to commit themselves, we may see other people follow this. Do I think that's the path for the UFC to go? No, I don't think you do this all the time, but just like we've talked about with money weight fights and these other spectacle fights, in small bursts and in small doses here and there, they have a place. It's when they become the norm as opposed to the exception, that's when it starts becoming a problem. And the great thing is, is that the UFC, whoever those decision makers are going forward with WMEIMG, get to make that call. They have, like... They're the bouncers at the door of the VIP with the checklist that says you're allowed in or not. And if they don't like the look of you, guess what, homie? It's not happening. And so are there going to be other people that probably go, hey, I could do that. If he can, I can. What about me? 
Absolutely. Are we going to suddenly see a flood of celebrities fighting in the UFC? I don't think this is turning into celebrity boxing on Fox. <laughs> Idris Elba for light heavyweight champion 2017. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm a huge Idris Elba fan. I love the fact that he is training with uh, John McGuire and some of the boys over in England. I think that's dope. I think he should be James Bond, but I don't think he should fight. Um, unless he wants to, man. Like, that's the thing. If these dudes want to do it, if people want to go out and pursue these dreams, more power to them. Outside of all of that, away from the peripheral stuff and the secondary stuff, let's get to the fight itself. <laughs> CM Punk still has to step into the cage, touch gloves with Mickey Gall, I would assume. Hear the words, let's fight and start actually being in an actual fight. So how do you think this plays out? You mentioned earlier that you're pretty sure this is going to be about a minute and a half of Mickey Gall just ragdoll in CM Punk. Yeah, man. Look, I, I, that's the thing that, that really uh, you know goes back to what I was saying. That the word to describe this is curious because... Uh, you know, so curious, so it intriguing. Is, it is so intriguing, and as you said, the footage that we see on the Fight Pass show, uh, the evolution of of CM Punk, um, you know, is older footage that you know that has been filmed over time. But he has improved a lot um, over that time. I'm sure he has. There's no the, way the critics trying... will say there's if he didn't, it was it would be a big deal because yeah. he was starting at zero. Right, right. No, well, I mean, he's been training hard. He's been training full-time, so I'm sure he's definitely made improvements. And he's training with a pretty great camp with Duke Rufus and those guys. They know how to how to train guys and prepare them for fights. That being said, uh, when CM Punk steps into that octagon on Saturday night, I don't really anticipate this thing going any other way but Mickey Gall kind of realizing that CM Punk is really not at the level of, you know, any other professional fighter that he's probably fought before. And he'll be able to do pretty much whatever he wants to do with CM Punk, whether that ends up being a submission on the ground where he chokes him out real quick, whether that ends up being a head kick highlight knockout. Um, I think he'll be pretty much able to do whatever he wants once he sees that there's such a difference in skill between him and CM Punk. Obviously there, there might be a feeling out process for a sec because he hasn't seen what CM Punk, uh, you know, brings to the table. But after that's over, I think we're just going to see Mickey Gall pretty much do whatever he wants to do. And I think you're probably right. I think the fact that Mickey Gall is 13 years, CM Punk's junior is a big factor. I think that he is, clearly a lot more naturally athletically gifted than CM Punk is a big factor. I appreciate the fact that Jim and Dan Miller, who he trains with, are both singing his praises. I think some of the footage we've seen of Mickey Gall and I was at his fight against Mike the Truth Jackson, as short as that was, he seems to have the confidence and the fundamentals of a guy that is going to beat CM Punk. The part that is interesting to me and curious to me is what happens with Mickey Gall's confidence, psyche, whatever you want to call it, if he does land that first clean shot and Punk doesn't fall the way that Mike Jackson did, 
or he does get to mount or to back mount and start working for a choke and CM Punk escapes it. Mickey Gall has put the pressure on himself of I'm going to beat this dude in 40 seconds. Is there a little bit of a letdown? Is there a little bit of a, oh, damn it, I'm in a fight now? Does Can CM Punk even make this a fight? Those are the things that I am very much looking forward to finding out officially on Saturday night. Unfortunately, I think the answer to all of those questions are no, simply because he's a 37-year-old man that has spent 18, 21 months prepping for this. Um, You know, his body's not in the same recovery shape as a 24-year-old. After You know, all those years of wrestling take a toll. He's had to have back surgery. He's had to have shoulder surgery. And so I do think this ends up probably being done in the first round you and i texted about it earlier in the week of of do we think that cm punk has a second fight i think he does because i don't think he wants this to be a one and done sort of cash in spectacle what do you think yeah i i really do think it is dependent on the way this fight ends if he gets you know if he gets in there and gets toasted in about 30 to 40 seconds, I think we can wrap a bow around, you know, CM Punk's, <laughs> you know, a UFC career. If he comes in there and survives a round or two even and shows even, you know, some remote skills that he's picked up along the way at Rufus Sport and, and shows a bit of a fight, then I think it could get interesting. He could get another fight because as, you know, as you mentioned as well, I think a lot of people – are kind of sleeping on Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall's not just this dude who's brought in for CM Punk. Yes, he's coming into the UFC a lot earlier than probably he should be, but this is a guy who is probably going to be in the UFC in a couple years anyways. So, you know, depending on how his career played out outside of it, obviously, but he does have the skills, I think, to be a UFC guy. So this isn't, you know, to me just CM Punk fighting, you know, uh, one of the photographers around the octagon or something, he's fighting a very legit guy. So if he comes in there, puts up a bit of a fight, and even if he gets finished in the second round, I think we could see another CM Punk fight in the UFC. But like I said, if he goes in there and just turtles up in about 30 seconds while Mickey Gall is ground and pounding him and then chokes him out, yeah, we could, we could call it one and done. It's the Keyboard Kamara podcast on Province Sports Radio. ESK and Patrick Shiviklinski talking UFC 203 with Punk and Mickey Gall in the rear view. Let's get to the main event, the main attraction of the night, the UFC heavyweight championship fight. Hometown hero Stipe Miocic defending the belt for the first time against Alistair Overeem. I was fortunate enough to talk to both guys earlier this week for stories that are live now on UFC.com. Both are super confident, as you would expect. Both have every intention of winning this fight, as you would expect. Miosic from a, I'm not letting this belt go, I'm not being a one-and-done dude. Overeem from a, it's the only belt that isn't in my collection. I pretty much have all of the other ones' stance. It's a really compelling fight to me. It's a really interesting fight to me stylistically. We are... Going to have our predictions up. I'm in the process of of getting them into the system as we record this. We have altering picks on this. You and I have differing opinions. I will let you start and explain why 
you think we have a new champion after Saturday night? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, call call it a gut feeling, but uh, I feel like this is this is Overeem's big moment finally in the UFC. It it was supposed to happen, you know, after the Brock fight. We were supposed to see, you know, the next generation of heavyweight, you know, supremacy with Alistair Overeem. Um, it never happened, and and then you know, obviously, we know what happened for for Overeem from there. He had that string of losses where he was losing to guys that, frankly, he probably shouldn't have been losing to, but he did. Um, you know, the Bigfoot Silva loss started off, then he had the Travis Brown fight, and then you know later on after beating Frank Mir, he lost to Ben Rothwell. I think that since that time, you know, he has arguably never looked better in his in his UFC career than he has right now. And not in terms of that he's gone back to that demolition man style where he's rushing dudes and bringing liver kicking the crap out of people. <laughs> um, not in those terms. He's a, a lot more, he seems like a, an elder statesman of sorts and, and, and a guy who really has started to understand his strengths and really work on those with a great camp in Jackson Winkle John. Those guys really know how to kind of bring his strengths to light and really bring them out in a way that we haven't seen before. I mean, the old Overeem would have been rushing dudes hard and just trying to go for that early knockout. And as exciting as that was, that's not his game, man. He is a calculated kickboxer with a very underrated ground game as well. He's a very technical fighter, and I think that now, working with Greg Jackson and, and John, you know, we're, we're seeing them pick up on a lot of those tendencies that, you know, the, those subtle things that he does with great movement and, and good striking from distance and really being able to stay patient. This is something that we haven't seen from him before, and I just think that you know, when you look at the scope of heavyweights in the UFC, a lot of those guys are doing a lot of the same things and trying to rush in and go for the knockout, which makes a lot of sense. They have a lot of power. They can knock people out and finish people. But then you have Overeem now in 2016, who is kind of a different breed of heavyweight in terms of how patient he is with his, you know, strikes and how kind of, you know, more calculated he's become. He's not throwing his energy out in the first round. He's not unloading like crazy. He's really pacing himself out. And I think especially in a five-round championship fight, that's going to play to his favor. First, a shout-out to Lucas J. Dog making a rare <laughs> appearance on the podcast. It's been a while since he barked mid-podcast, so shout-out to my dog, uh, who used to make video appearances and will probably again once I get the new office set up, once Ikea gets the rest of my stuff here, if you've been following me on Twitter and Instagram, you know about my grievances with Ikea, but they are delivering it all on Friday, so shout out to them for making the situation right. All of what you said is 100% true. He has progressed. He has evolved as a fighter. He is showing a great deal more patience, um, not putting himself in as many dangerous positions. I think some of that comes with the caliber of opponents that he's been fighting and the fact that he did have that stretch where he went one in three and had a couple guys on the ropes in those fights, like had Travis Brown in a bad way but couldn't finish. 
uh, broke Ben Rothwell's arm with a kick in that fight and then still got knocked the hell out as Ben Rothwell did a little like techno Viking dance <laughs> over him. The thing that sways me in the other direction, and I am picking Stipe Miocic to return, retain the title and blow the roof off the queue on Saturday night, is that Overeem has always been a little bit chinny. If there is one knock on him, it's that you can hit him and he goes to Queer Street and the legs go janky and the recovery just isn't there. Even in some of these wins, there have been those moments where guys have landed a clean clean shot on him, not completely flush, but good enough that he has to take that step backwards and do the little finger wave or the head shake like, no, that didn't hurt, which we all know means you're a little bit wobbled and you're clearing the cobwebs. I think against a guy like Miosic, who we saw in the fight with Verdum, excels at being a counter-striker. We think of him as a guy that comes forward, but when he's best is when he's reacting to what you bring to the table. And so with Verdum, or sorry, with Overeem having to get in close and having to find those moments, either charging in and getting back or making it a close internal battle where he can use those knees... I just think over 25 minutes, there's at least one point where Miosic uncorks a right hand that lands flush and ends this fight. As I mentioned in my predictions little write-up, which will be up by the time that people hear this, I also think there's an outside chance that Stipe goes the Mark Hunt route with this and just puts him on the ground and just roughs him up for 25 minutes and kind of works some ground and pound. As you mentioned, Overeem has a underrated ground game kind of slept on a little bit. He's a little better than Mark Hunt at getting back to his feet and sort of defending those takedowns and and covering up well, where Mark Hunt kind of just laid there and was like, yeah, well, I guess I'm going to take a beating for five minutes. So I don't think Miosic goes that route, but it is there to me. But we will see, man. It's one of those fights. I love when you and I disagree. I love when we disagree on big fights because it gives us both, I mean, not that we need a reason to pay attention through to the end, but it will keep us talking trash on Twitter and on text messages throughout. Um, I do, as I said last week, I miss being able to turn around and just tease you relentlessly as I continue to pile up wins, but I'll do it on text and Twitter on Saturday night as well. Lovely. <laughs> it's Keyboard Kamara Podcast, UFC 203 Preview Edition. Patrick Shiviklinski, E. Spencer Kite, rather than going through all the rest of the fights on the main card at length. Let's just do them quick hitter style. Co-main event, a rematch between Fabricio Verdum, the former champ, and Travis Brown, filling in for Big Ben Rothwell. We are in lockstep prediction-wise on this. We've seen it once. It was one-sided. There's no real reason to think it's going to change this time around. Yeah, no, I mean... Uh, the heavyweight division, as we always know, there's always a puncher's chance. And that's just, you know, the reality of being a heavyweight is you have that power to end the fight. Travis Brown has that power just as much as anybody else. Um, though I think that when you consider how the first fight went down between these two guys, and I think that since that time, Fabrice Overdooms even elevated his game, I think this is either going to be, you know, a one-sided decision win for Fabricio or it's going to be a finish for him. I just think Travis Brown stepping up on short notice and coming in here, very admirable of him to do so. 
But I don't think it's going to end that well for him. Well, and Guilherme Cruz of MMA Fighting posted something today. Apparently, as they were getting ready to face off post-press conference, Fabricio Verdum kind of turned to his boys and was like, let's break this MFR," mm. um, And went out and just was like, ripping apart Travis Brown in Portuguese. So Hoppe didn't understand it, but was saying like, I'm going to break your ribs. I'm going to just mess up your face. He seems pumped up for this. I think it is as one-sided as the last fight was. And Verdum started clowning in that fight. So Travis Brown should be hyper-motivated. He said all the right things and embedded in the build up to this, but just strikes me as a dude that the minute things don't go his way, that confidence is shot, and I think that happens early in this one, just like it did last time out. Uh, bantamweight fight, Uriah Faber jumping in against Jimmy Rivera, who is somehow on a quiet 18-fight winning streak, <laughs> including three in the UFC. This is a fight that I think we're going to learn a great deal about where Uriah Faber is at in his career in. Yes, he just fought for a title. He got blown out by Dominic Cruz. I think in his fights before that, to get to this point, we were starting to see the slow decline of Uriah Faber. And I think this is the point where a lot of people go, oh, maybe the days are numbered for the California kid. Because I think Jimmy Rivera is a tough out. I think he's a guy that can grind you. I think he's got some pop in his hands. I think he's got all the motivation in the world and all of the, all of the, everything to gain from this fight. Whereas, What's in it for Faber? What more is there for this guy to do? Chances are, as long as Dominic Cruz has that belt, he's not getting another shot. I know Faber hates when you say that because he doesn't like, well, everybody's been saying that for years. But I mean, dude, you there's got to be a finite number of times that you can fight for a belt and not win it. And I think we've reached it. But you're still on Team Faber for this one. Yeah, I mean, I agree with, with what you said definitely about getting to that point that we're going to look at Uriah Faber and be like, oh, okay, yeah, here, here it comes. Here's the downfall. I don't think we're at that point just yet. It's around the corner, but I don't think Jimmy Rivera is the guy who's going to be the start for Faber's downfall. I think Faber probably gets it done here against Rivera. Um, it, it probably won't be an easy fight, and I think that, you know, as we saw against Frankie Sines even, he had some difficulties and and didn't look good in in a lot of you know those those moments in that fight. I think this is going to be another one of those fights where he's going to have some moments where Rivera, you know, surprises him, step you know, makes him step back a little bit. But I think in the end, Uriah Faber does find a way to get it done. I do think that you know this is going to be one of those fights that we're going to look at Faber and be like, well, you know, we didn't get much out of that performance. Um, kind of like the science fight, but at the same time, I do think that it will be just enough to win this fight and that, that, you know, kind of deterioration of his, you know, place as an elite bantamweight is coming. Unfortunately, that's just what happens with age and mileage. I don't think it comes just yet, but it is coming. The main card kicks off with a terrific fight in the strawweight division. Jessica Andrade making her sophomore appearance at 115 against Joanne Calderwood, who won last time out in a special flyweight attraction in Ottawa against Valerie Letourneau. This is an awesome fight that, to this point on Thursday evening, I still haven't officially decided who I'm picking. I'm still pouring over 
all of my thoughts on this one because I am a huge Jessica Andrade fan. I think she seriously overachieved at bantamweight being dramatically undersized. I think she looked tremendous against Jessica Penne in her debut going out and just running through the former title challenger. I was in Ottawa to see Jojo look really good. She's won back-to-back fights. She seems to have a lot of things in place and in order in her life now that weren't in that fight where she lost to Marina Morose. I just don't know how this one plays out yet. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you (laughs) to let people know your thoughts. Yeah, I'm going with Jessica Andrade on this one. Um, it is a tough fight to call because Joanne Calderwood is certainly a, a very good fighter and, and she's shown in her last fight against Valerie Letourneau that, you know, she still has that finishing ability. The thing that I really worry about with uh, Joanne Calderwood is that weight cut. Um, you know, we, we saw in the last fight she fought at 125 pounds. They had an agreement to fight at that special flyweight attraction. I think that's a much better weight for her. She's, you know, she's one of the bigger, you know, uh, 115 pounders in that division. And I, I, I do worry about how that kind of affects her strength and conditioning when she goes into a fight, especially when you're going against someone as dangerous as Jessica Andrade, who's not going to leave you any room for error. Um, it just feels like the, you know, perfect storm for Andrade to come in and kind of outwork and, you know, uh, outpace Calderwood over the course of three rounds. Yeah, the things that, that sort of have me twisting on this one is that I agree with you the weight cut is is something to worry about, but I also like the fact that she'll step on the scale at about 9.30, as she said, in a terrific stand-up, or sit-down, actually, with Ariel Hawani that is up on MMAfighting.com right now, um, that she has that 36 hours to to rehydrate and get that energy back. We have seen since the early weigh-ins have come into play that a lot of people that have struggled with weight in the past look a lot better on fight night. Lorenz Larkin jumps to mind from very recently. Um, Jessica Andrade has a very good submission game that we don't talk about enough. She likes catching guillotines. Um, She's been known to dive on an arm every now and again, and Joanne Calderwood's losses in her career have all been by submission. It's a crazy fight. I, I honestly, I'm going to push right now, and people will have to check out the Keyboard Kimura Punch Drunk predictions on Friday to get my official pick. That's what they call a tease in this business, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> nice. Check out the website. Get me one more or two more clicks. Get Patty one more or two more clicks. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. ESK, Patrick Shivik-Lensky. Wrapping up UFC 203 with just a couple of fights from the prelims that stand out, one for each of us. You like another ladies' fight, women's bantamweight matchup between Jessica Evil I, who will walk out to MGK, Cleveland Till I Die, against former title challenger Betch Kohea. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a fight, let's be real, I mean, uh, to stay relevant in that ba- women's bantamweight division. I mean, it uh, could both... be stay employed in the women's bantamweight <laughs> division. Yeah, you know, that I, I was trying to put it in a little bit of a lighter way. I, I don't want to give these ladies their pink slips yet, but... Um, you know, I think it definitely is a fight, a must-win for both of these ladies. Probably Jessica I even more so. She's one and four in her last five outings, um, and you know she's had she's had some kind of you know good fights in in there and 
some uh, split decision with Alexis Davis. You know, you can go into the details, but the record shows one and four, last four fights. That doesn't look good. Betch Cohea, um, you know, I think a lot of people kind of still view her as the chick who really made Ronda Rousey angry and, you know, paid for it dearly. Um, so now she's trying to kind of, you know, rebuild from that. And had that, you know, last fight with uh, Raquel Pennington, which was a split decision loss, closer fight. I think that, you know, Kohe is, uh, you know, a, a little bit more of a uh, dynamic fighter than Jessica I. It'll be interesting to see what happens here. I do have Kohe winning this thing, uh, but you never know. Hey, going out to MGK and Cleveland till I die. You just don't know what's going to happen, man. That crowd can fire you up and you can do some amazing things. I mean, Betch Cohea is a woman that played her cards exceptionally well. She beat up two members of Ronda Rousey's Four Horsewomen Posse, threw up the four and then dropped two to only one because Marina Shafir wasn't in the UFC and still isn't in the UFC to this day (laughs) and got her shot to face Ronda Rousey. It absolutely didn't go her way as no one expected it to. Um, I think we have subsequently seen sort of more of where Betch Kohea fits in this division, and that's kind of on the fringes of contention. I thought Rocky Pennington won that fight hands down. I didn't think it was a split. This one I'm, I'm torn on because I think from an athletic standpoint, Jessica I is the better fighter. She is the more fluid in the cage. She has a few more, maybe not weapons, because I think this is just going to be a boxing match. And I think Jessica I is just, just moves a little better, you know, throws a little bit more, has a little bit more pop on her punches. But she also has arguably the worst fight IQ of anyone I've ever seen at this level. And that can be a huge issue. I'm hoping that fighting at home and understanding that she's one in four over her last five fights puts her in a absolute must-win situation. Um, but I would have thought that she felt that way going into her fight with Sarah McMahon, and she didn't look very good in that. So who knows? My one prelim fight that I want to just sort of touch on before we get out of here is the Fight Pass featured prelim. Yancy Medeiros moving up to welterweight to take on Sean Spencer after a bunch of fights as a lightweight in the UFC. He actually started his career as a middleweight in strike force and started getting some recognition. Then he kind of fell off the radar and fell off the map for a number of years, resurfaced as part of that Diaz crew out in Stockton, does training now at home in Hawaii, with Max Holloway and the the MMA elite team out there. It's been up and down for him at lightweight, but I think he's a guy that you remember his last fight against Francisco Trinaldo. Tons of heart, tons of grit, tough out. I think the weight cut probably takes a little bit out of him. I think going up in weight is an opportunity for him to sort of recharge, restart things, press the reset button. Sean Spencer's a a good, clean, technical fighter, but never a guy that's going to wow you. I think this is a shot for Yancy Medeiros to sort of reinvent himself a little bit and start not... He's not going to climb the ranks of the welterweight division and suddenly be a top 15 guy, but I think he can have a comfortable living in that middle zone at like 
18 through 30, where he's putting on entertaining fights, winning two, losing one, winning one, losing two, and just grinding out a good career where he's catching some bonuses and putting on good fights in positions like this throughout the rest of his career. So definitely a guy to to tune in for on Saturday afternoon on Fight Pass. Yeah, I mean, Medeiros is one of those guys that I, I think, you know, I agree with you on that, is an entertaining dude, and I'd just like to see... You know how he performs at, at welterweight when he doesn't have that weight cut. He's, you know, he he's got some pretty dynamic strikes, man. He, he throws some fun stuff in there, so it will be good to see, you know, him at 170 pounds and kind of getting a little refresh, as you said, and as I agree with. I don't think, you know, he's going to be a contender necessarily in that division, but hey, if he can put on some exciting bouts that you know we're all, you know, talking about the next day, that's good enough for me. That's going to do it for this week's show as Patrick and I sort of set the table for UFC 203 on Saturday afternoon slash evening on pay-per-view for the main card. It's also going to be a wrap for a couple of weeks. My wife and I are heading overseas. We are getting a little vacation in before the holidays get started, before a bunch of people come out to see what our new house looks like and use our spare room. So we're going to hit pause on the show for a couple of weeks. Patty's going to have a chance to recharge and take the lady out for dinners and and make it to friends' birthday parties. Shout out to Patrick for sticking around and doing the show tonight. He got a late invite to go out. He committed to the show. He stuck through it. So high five to you over the interwebs. I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) He wanted to argue about professional wrestlers fighting in the UFC. That's what it was all about. So we appreciate you sticking around. We appreciate all the support over these last almost two years now, which is absolutely crazy to me. We're going to take a little break, but I assure you as soon as we are back from England, we will be back on this podcast. As always, follow him on Twitter at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-I-L-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. Follow me at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E on the last name. As always, enjoy the fights this weekend. Remember that luck is for losers. Remember that it's clobbering time. And be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Keyboard Kimura. Kimura.